Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Sing the Don Henley, I think, song, uh, The Heart of the Matter, that was written back in the 80s. We're going to look in 2 Timothy chapter 2 tonight. We're going to look at the last verse, and you're going to be interested. We're going to tie it all together next week. We're only looking at one verse tonight, the final verse of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it's verse 26. And tonight, we're going to, as we finish this up, remember I, I shared with you, I think, last week, this, this subtitle, this section, the second half of chapter 2 is, is an approved worker. So we're looking at a lot of the characteristics that get at the heart of the matter for people that are followers of Christ. The heart is where the origination of everything that we are originates from. Amen? What is different between us and animals in our hearts? You can do a heart transplant with what a baboon, I think they've done baboons and humans. What is different about the heart of a human being as opposed to animals that makes us uniquely human? Soul. We have a soul that can never die. What is the difference in having a soul versus not having a soul? That is going to be the part of us that resides forever. Yes, we're going to have an eternal body one day at the second. We know that. We understand that. The second resurrection. The body's going to be breaking. What's going to happen? We're going to have that. But listen, what I'm talking about is what makes us us today is not this, this is a shell. I can't tell you the number of, of dead people that I've seen in my lifetime. Meaning, they're graveyard dead, there's nothing there, not only pastoring and funerals, but when I was in the medical, when I was 17 years old, I started at 16 years old, I started seeing people die. And I remember, it used to really mess with me. Actually, before that, I worked for a florist and used to deliver to funeral homes. And you know, you go in there and it just, for whatever reason, it just, it was very hard for me to grasp as a child looking at a, a person that was not there anymore. I don't know. It was just, it was really difficult. But as I've seen it more and more, this is this resounding thing. When you stop breathing, not only the fact that your body has stopped responding to the external stimuli of life itself, but what happens when that body dies, that soul's not hanging around going, hey, what's up? It goes. Where does it go? It goes one of two places. Outer darkness or Abraham's bosom? You know, in a place, paradise or what? The Sheol, there's a lot of different names for it. What ultimately is you're either in the presence of the Lord or you are separated from him by your own choice. Tonight, the heart of the matter is the fact that every person in this room right now and every person around the terrestrial ball that we're on tonight has an eternal zip code. Every person that's ever breathed in the history of all mankind has an eternal zip code. You might think, well, I just don't want to exist anymore. Sorry, we don't have that choice. You don't get A, B, or you can default to C. Heaven, hell, or just don't exist. I think probably the majority of people, even thinking to try to comprehend what eternity is, would hit C. Am I right? I know a lot of people that would. I've actually debated that thought before and said, God, if you gave me the choice, I would just... Anybody ever had surgery? Okay. Is that not an amazing sleep? 
There's nothing greater than being in surgery asleep. I had it last a week ago Monday. I didn't have surgery. I had an upper GI, and they give you propofol, and it's just amazing how you ain't fighting it. I was going to try to fight it. I sat there, and I was looking at her. Next thing you know, I woke up. And I said, I still can't do it. I can fight it for a good little bit, but I'm going to tell you something. Propofol will, beyond a shadow of a doubt, render you completely hapless. There are people that have anesthesia awareness, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother uh, message right there. But that's a beautiful sleep. And if you think about, if you could just stop existing, hey, what a nice euphoric thought. We just no longer have to exist. Don't have to worry about anything. Don't have to, right? That's not truth. What we know tonight, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that there is a place Heaven and there's a place of hell. Do you realize that during this service tonight, there's going to be people all over the globe that are going to walk off during this next hour. I, I used to know the number of people, your, your statistical, on you know, how many people are going to die in the next hour. There's going to be people the next hour that are going to walk off into an eternity lost and without hope. Their soul is going to forever be separated from God because God merely has given them their desire not to fellowship with him, not to walk with him, to do things on their own. God gives us that right. But that's not his desire for us. Scripture says his desire is that none should perish. And I either believe Scripture or I don't believe it. I don't just say, you know, I, I believe this and I, I don't believe that. Listen, I want to tell you something. I'm, uh, people call me black and white. And I'm not even talking about racial. I'm talking about tonight, truth is truth and the, the, the absence of truth is false, Right? You've got truth and you have, let's just put it in the way it is, a three-letter word, lie. You have sin and you have truth. And one of the two ways, we're going to either buy it or we're going to live in this way. We don't, we don't go, you know, God, I love the thought of Jesus and I love the thought of all the beautiful parables and scripture that talk about love and joy and peace and hope. And I love the fact that you say you'll supply all of our needs and uh, uh, the prayer of Jabez and God expand my territory and give me health and wealth and all this wonderful stuff. God, just let it rule and reign in my life. Please hold the persecution, the trials, the tribulations, the sacrifice, the suffering and the service. Lord, just leave that for some of those other people because I'm not going to name it, and therefore I will not claim it. And that's what I'm going to do. It's like going to a buffet. I don't like liver, and I'm not going to eat that liver. I don't care how good it is for me. I don't want it. I want some fried okra. I want some fried chicken. And I could go through the litany of healthy foods that I love. Listen, God made broccoli to be steamed and cheese to be put on it. If you're eating it plain or with ranch, you are outside of God's will. And why is that truth? Because I just told you it's truth. I say that to say I can believe whatever I want to and you can believe whatever you want to. But I will tell you what Scripture says. By their fruits you'll know them. I had the sad experience this week of learning that someone that had absolutely zero desire for anything, a life completely contradictory to truth, was rejecting and completely, and I pray that something happened. But I actually was able to hear the experience about this person's last hours on this earth, and it just horrifies me for them. I'm so thankful that God's the righteous judge, and I'm not. And I'm so thankful that I always, even in the, the most rebellious rebel of heathens that's rejected everything spiritual in my heart of hearts, I go, God, I pray in their dying breaths that they truly profess you as Savior and Lord. I don't care how bad they were because what I realized is, church, this is a real deal. 
This is not some euphoria that we think about in some uh, unicorn of a reality that we want to will into being. This is the reality of truth. And the thing about truth is that you can't change what truth is. You can lie to yourself. You can convince yourself that anything else is truth, and it doesn't matter. It's the same thing as believing that the IRS, because you're a sovereign citizen and they can't do anything for you, you just go right ahead. What they buy 1.5 billion rounds of ammo a few years ago? They're going to pop you full if you try to mess with them. You don't have to pay your taxes. You can say whatever you want to, and you can stand like Custer's last stand at your little house. But I promise you, in the smoking wreckage of what was your heart, your life, your family, you will find out that truth is truth. I just paid my property taxes today. Do you think that was fun? No. <clears throat> you think that I could tell, but listen, I've, I'm paying for this land, and you cannot tax this. It's mine. You just go and tell them that. When they've got your little nice little house up there on the courthouse steps, because you didn't pay. You can say all you want about your sovereign citizens, and you can say all you want about your attorneys and how you're going to sue everybody. Listen, you can convince yourself of anything you want to, but truth is a different thing. And that's why it's so important. Has anybody in here learned a bad lesson? I'm going to tell you, one of them individually here, I haven't gotten pulled over there, so it doesn't matter. Nashville Dirt Road, my car knows what the speed limits are on the roads. Why? Because it sees speed limit signs and it tells you what the speed limits are of the roads. Ironic, Nashville Dirt Road going from Unionville Decent Road going into town or the other way around, it doesn't have them. So it thinks it's 25 miles an hour, which is just default because it doesn't want you to get a ticket. Now I can roll it up to 85 miles an hour if I want to. I wouldn't drive on Nashville Dirt at 85 miles an hour, but you could do that. I can tell my car to go 85 and it'll go 85. Now, when the man pulls behind you and he lights you up, does anybody know what happens when they pull you over and they get out from a license register? Do you know what you're doing? Oh, no. just Oh, you were doing 85. Well, there's no speed limit. Oh, yes, there is. Because if you know the law in Bedford County on any road, does anybody know what the county road Speed limits are? Oh, we got a wise crowd here. Praise God. It's 45 if it's not posted. What is no excuse? Ignorance is no excuse. That's actually a statute. It's ignorance of the law is no excuse. And therefore, it doesn't matter what we think. You can get an attorney. You can do any and everything that you want to. But see, as a person who is on the road, what you do when you sign that license application, you know what also you're doing? You're giving them the right to test your blood if you're ever potentially believed to be under the influence of something. Oh, you don't have to. You can try to weep. But you know what happens? It's called implied consent. When you sign the back of your license, you're telling them, I am willing to submit to a chemical test or a blood test to determine if I'm under the influence and I am doing And see you drive down the road. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to blow in that thing. They'll never know. You go right ahead. You have forfeited your right to drive for the next 12 months. You know that? You don't have to blow. You don't have to do your blood. They can get a court order to do it, but guess what? You're still going to lose your license simply because of the implied consent law. This is why it's so important to realize the court system has flaws, but there's one system we're going to stand before one day that has none. There's going to not be any missing stop signs. There's not going to be a missed yield sign. There's not going to be any of those 
out. You're not going to get a good attorney and go into God's presence and find a technicality with which you will enter his presence by usurping Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the propitiation, as the atonement for your sin. There will not be one person that enters eternity one day that has not confessed their sin, placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and asked him to be their Savior and the Lord of their life. Not one. That is why, to me, tonight, the heart of the matter is the most important issue we will ever deal with, because that is, the heart is the absolute wellspring of everything. The Spirit of God that dwells within us is the, 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 the thing that God gave us through Christ as our eternal high priest. Remember what he said, I'm going to send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? As a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit convicts us, comforts us, strengthens us. It, listen, intercedes for us with groans that cannot be understood. We have it, a litany of things the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does for us. When you as a Christian go out, let's just say you're, you, go to na- you, you go out of town and you're, you're not in your normal town and, and we, got this, we get this thought process, you know, I'm out of town. You know, nobody knows me here. It's so nice and ooh, I see whatever, whatever it is. Ooh, I'm going to do, nobody will know. And uh, honey, I, you know, it's time for a break. I'm going to go do X. Well, you can do that. But I'll tell you what, as you're thinking that and you begin to go, the party or maybe even your spouse says, you know, it's probably not, it's not why would you want to do that? God is so good. He's so faithful. Why? What, what, what do we, why would we want to go out and risk what is involved in this behavior, whatever this thing is? You know, it's not a big deal. And then you begin yourself to go, maybe I shouldn't do it. But, you know, I want to because I'm out of town. Nobody's going to know. That feeling, that nagging feeling inside is the Holy Spirit. You know what it's trying to do? It's not only keeping our hearts soft and encouraging us in the Spirit to live according to the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. And it's encouraging us to pray without ceasing as we are faced with temptations and we how many times something happens and the first thing we want to do is, oh, the devil, man, he just tempted. What does Scripture say? We're dragged away by what desires? Our own desires. So as we wage war inside, the heart of the matter is, where's your heart tonight? Is the first inclination, the first battle within you to want to go and do those things? Okay, what spirit are you feeding tonight? What would I say? We have the spirit man and we have the sin nature that is still at war with our spirit, right? We know this as a Christian. Tonight, what are you feeding? It was so awesome this week, yesterday and Monday, there was a person painting there at, at where I'm working and said hi. You know, hey, my name is Jonathan here. If you need anything, man, good to see you. You know, and I go and I don't know, there's just something about him. He just had a gentle spirit. So I'm just going, I keep walking, you know, I'm doing my thing. And I come back one time, I say, hey man, where are you in fellowship at? Because I knew if I said that, he go, what? If he wasn't a believer. Told me the church, he's in fellowship with in Murfreesboro. And he said, uh, you know why I'm even there? He said, God brought me out of addiction a number of years ago. Man, I just, I was like, praise God, man. So we started just talking back and forth. His wife's getting ready to have a baby, their first baby. And it was just, it's so awesome how the Spirit of God 
that dwells within us can literally, as I sensed his spirit walking by him, he had the spirit of the Lord and it resonated in his very face. That, brothers and sisters, is what I'm talking about tonight. What are we feeding? So then the next thing, you know, we're talking, man, and I said, you know, I encourage our church body uh, to read. I, I really have a passion for the word. I think it's imperative that we're in the word daily. He said, brother, he said, absolutely. He said, if you're not in the word, you can't grow. It was like having church. And the more he talked, the more I just wanted to say, please leave your church and come to ours. And you know that's sinful and it's ungodly. And I can't say that because I want him where God wants him. Of course, I can pray and ask God to bring him to us. <laughs> but I'm saying that is the type of thing that I'm talking about. You and I need to be him. Excuse first name, Zach. We need to be Zach. Because Zach's sitting there with a paintbrush at a retirement facility, living for Jesus, going to be there, ready? He's going to be there until January or February. I sat there and I was like, Lord, thank you. What a blessing. Amen? Next thing you know, after I'd had that interaction with him, I hear him talking to a patient about the Lord as they come up and are talking to him. And you know what God's doing? Hey, God's bringing the Spirit of God. God's bringing oneness. And now God's giving another avenue with which to minister to the patients. And ultimately, whether I minister to him, he ministers me, or we equally are able to just minister to the facility. This is what our call and objective as followers of Christ is. But see, listen, when we're not feeding the spirit nature, this is where we run into the issue. We feed the sin nature. And that sin nature wants us to go in there ticked off because you and your spouse had an argument that morning, or maybe your car had a flat tire, or maybe today I was pulling out of a pharmacy and, and somebody was zigging when they should have zagged and the other person zigged when they should have zagged and they, they kissed bumpers up front there and you just heard that nasty thing and I went, oh man, and the poor old guy went, I saw his face and their days just, you know, and that's what the enemy wants us to get in something like that and then go half sideways or bent. Or maybe that old guy today and the other fellow that was in the pickup truck, they were so fired up maybe about that that tonight, instead of going to church, they were so ticked off, they just go home. That's what he wants. Because he wants the heart of the matter to be the moment on hand to live according to our emotions, not according to the Spirit, so that we never reflect God's glory. We never have an impact on anybody. And as a matter of fact, when you have a funeral one day, as somebody gets up and shares the gospel and presents the gospel and how much you love Jesus, the majority of people sit in the pews going, am I at the right place? Because I've sat in funerals where I sat there and I went, there's no way possible they are talking about the person up there. There's no way. They are manufacturing evidence for somebody else. They've gotten it confused. They have switched the dialogue and they're talking about the next person that they're preaching a funeral for. But sadly, that's not true. And as Billy Graham says, so many pastors, it's in a sense like people believe they can preach them into heaven. And I want you to know tonight, the heart of the matter is an issue that we deal with ourselves that we cannot deal with for someone else. Someone else cannot deal with that for us. That is something as I share with you tonight and will culminate next week, the heart of the matter is the issue at hand that you and I must deal with on our own. Does not matter what we know. Doesn't, I don't care who your parents were. Don't tell me that my dad was this, my mom was that. I don't care what your parents were and you should not care what mine were. 
Praise God if you had godly parents to God be the glory, but they will not be in God's presence testifying on your behalf or my behalf. You and I are going to stand in God's presence on our own merits with what we did with Jesus Christ, and the fruits of our life is the way that tonight we can manifest the work of God in our lives, and what does it do? It bears witness, it bears testimony of the work of God that God has done in our hearts or life, or it bears testimony of what has not occurred, no matter what's coming out of this mouth. If your life does not bear testimony for the saving grace of God you profess with your mouth, Scripture says many will come in that day and say, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead? I'll tell them plainly, depart from me into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew chapter 25 lays it out explicitly as long as Matthew chapter 7 does. But we want to get to the heart of the matter tonight. As we do these last two nights, I ask all of you, I mean this, be as serious as ever. Think and introspectively inside, allow God to lay bare the condition of your heart. Please remove anything that you've ever heard from your parents, your family, anybody that you respected. It doesn't matter what they think. What matters is the heart of the matter. And I truly ask you tonight, step back, allow God to reveal the condition of your heart. And I beg you, I beg you from the bottom of my heart, allow the Spirit of God to speak to whatever the condition might be, even if it's a condition you do not want to address. It is of utmost importance because it's the matters of eternity. And I will promise you, it doesn't matter just because I said it, it is truth. The moment we breathe our dying breath, everything has been settled. And that is the horrifying reality. Scripture says that it's appointed a man once to die and then to stand judgment. I want every person that ever hears my voice or ever hears anybody ever share the gospel come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But we know the reality is that there's going to be those that don't believe it, that don't want anything to do with it. And tonight, that is ultimately the heart of the matter. And I pray as you found 2 Timothy chapter 2, you're beginning to pray that. We're going to look at, again, one verse. If you're able physically to stand, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Father, thank you tonight for your word. Oh, Lord, we give you full and free reign. Father, move in a mighty way tonight, not only in this building, but online and in assemblies all over the globe. Let a mighty harvest for the kingdom, God, all glory be unto you. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to split this verse up into three parts. The first part, then they may come to their senses. Remember, we looked at last week how the Lord's servant must not... Quarrel must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, patient, instructing opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, talking about fleeing the youthful passions. We looked at all these things that as a follower of Christ, we are to pursue, but also things that we are to run from. Now, this part we're looking at tonight, as we look at verse we're leading into then, that then they may come to their senses. One of the things that happens when we are captive to sin is that we lose our minds. Sin makes you foolish. Sin makes you ignorant. Sin makes you a litany of words that have nothing to do with wise and learned. 
It's actually the complete contradictory polar opposite. First thing tonight I want to share with you is this. When captive to sin, we lose our spiritual minds. Even as believers. Well, Brother Jonathan, I mean, I'm walking in the Spirit. I mean, it's just a little sin. There's no such thing as little sin. Do you know that you can steal a five-cent piece of gum one time in your life and you can walk off into an eternity lost and without hope and an entire lifetime of good works mean nothing. You know this? Are you serious? Yes, I'm dead serious. Why? Because sin separates from God. All sin separates from God. There is no categorizing of sin. Sin removes us from God's presence. So, what must happen? You must be pretty good most of your life and try not to sin. No, it's not about that. It's by grace we have been saved through faith and not of works. So no matter what the sin was, whether it's the original sin we're born with, the original sin was what happened with Adam and Eve. We were passed down through Adam's DNA and every subsequent father's DNA all throughout history. The sin nature was passed down through there's only one person that was born without that sin nature, and that was Jesus. Jesus averted the sin nature due to the fact that he did not have an earthly father's DNA. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Praise God, just like in Back to the Future, the space-time continuum, right, was interrupted. Christ Jesus, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was devoid of a sin nature, therefore allowing him to be the perfect payment propitiation for our sin because he lacked the sin nature that would have prevented him from being able to be the sinless atoning work on the cross for us. Oh God, how awesome. Praise God. And that right there is reason to rejoice because that alone points the truth of how Jesus was able to be the perfect picture of the Savior and the cross and the crucified, resurrected Lord and Savior because there was not a sin nature that dwelled within him. None of the other saviors of religion, whatever they want to call them, can claim, even claim that. Matter of fact, I've never even heard him say it. That's what's so awesome is how the Scripture speaks to the truth of what Scripture is. And that is what's so powerful tonight is the power of the gospel is in the truth of the gospel. It's day in and day out as I read more and more stories about excavations that they're doing in Israel and all over the globe, not one of them, literally my entire life, I've heard them digging. They're digging to prove that scripture, that let's just find a little bit of it that's not true. And every time there is a discovery, it never leads to the invalidity of Scripture, but nothing more than adds to the validity of Scripture and reaffirms. They found, was it Jeremiah, if I remember correctly, or Nehemiah's signet ring? Uh, when I went to Israel, that some, literally a month or two after I, I, went, I left Israel, I'll never forget it, and I was like, it was like this, this awe-inspiring article. They found it proves it's true, and I sat there and I went, okay, big deal, it's true. I, I didn't have any issue with believing it in the first place. But it's like so many people show their faithlessness because they get all worked up and not in the sense of going, oh, wow, I can't wait to see it. It's like, oh, it's finally going to be proved true. Well, that was yesterday's news in my life. 
Because I've believed it since I laid my Bible down on my living room floor and did what Billy Graham did shortly in the beginning of his ministry when it took off. He got over it. He laid on top of it and said, God, don't let me ever doubt your word again. And I never forget. I was reading that book. I was sitting in my living room. And I set that book down. I grabbed my Bible, laid it down on the living room floor, and I got on top of it and I prayed that prayer. And you know what's so ironic? Is that day, I've never doubted Scripture again. And if you tonight have a problem doubting Scripture, I want to encourage you. Don't just do it because I said it. Read how Billy Graham did it. And I will promise you, if you're struggling with the truth of Scripture, and you get on God's Word and you tell Him, God, I do not want to doubt who you are because I know who you are, but I battle the frailty of the human condition, and you get in there and get honest with God, and I promise you one thing, God's going to answer a prayer like that because what do I say about the promise of prayer being answered? Pray in accordance with what? God's will. You have not because you ask not. So pray that God would give you the understanding. That's what I tell God. If I'm struggling with something that's truth and I'm battling with it, you just ask God to reveal truth to you and you can be assured you better buckle up because you're going on a ride. God will affirm truth because truth is something that doesn't change and it's something God wants us to live in. So tonight, if you're doubting Scripture, it doesn't have anything to do with God. It doesn't have anything to do with this not being true. You just laid bare right now the condition of your own heart. And I want to assure you tonight that if you'll get serious about truly wanting the Spirit of God and the power of God to be manifest to you, you get on your face before Him and you get over His Word. Because listen, I don't even have the stats right now. I need to print it in my Bible in the front there so that I can read it every time about all those different authors all the way over that period of time that the gospel was written by people that had no collaboration together, but yet here's 66 books that fit flawlessly together with one narrative. And you tell me that this is written by man and it's flawed. you got another thing coming to you. Because the person that they asked about that one time was a very learned person. I wish I had the story right now because I'd love to read it. I've read it before. But the, this person who was a skeptic, they said, how about we find this number of authors that are completely unrelated and tell them all to write a narrative. No one can have anything to do with each other. And we want all of them together to write one story. By the way, this is at the same time in history. Let them all write a story that, by the way, they are going to hope flawlessly and seamlessly goes together with one picture of storyline with a resurrection. Come on. It's not going to happen, is it? It can happen. That's the power of the gospel, church. It is impossible to happen. Look, Brother Ron's got a bet. You got it? There we go. All right, you ready? Brother Ron, got to get off that internet. Watch him. He probably just printed it out from under the pew. <clears throat> Here we are. You ready? 66 books, canon of scripture, written, variety of genres, history, poetic, prophecy, wisdom, literature, letters, apocalyptic, just to name a few. 40 different authors, listen, variety of backgrounds, shepherds, fishermen, doctors, kings, prophets, and others. Most of the authors never knew each other personally. The 66 books were written over a period of 1,500 years. Yet again, reminder of these authors never collaborated, did not know, didn't collaborate together in any way. Three different languages. Hmm. Bible's written in the ancient language of Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, reflects the historical and cultural circumstances in which each one was written. 
Three different continents, Africa, Asia, Europe, 40 different authors, 1,500 years, three different languages, three different continents. They share the common storyline, creation, fall, redemption of God's people, the common thing, universal love of God for all humanity, the common message, salvation available through Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, professing faith, placing their trust in Him, and seeking to honor Him with their lives, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do the odds on that if you're one of those people that's a, a numbers person. It can't happen. It wouldn't happen. Thank you, brother. See, when we're captive to sin, we lose our minds. When we're captive to sin, we have a fog over the spiritual light in our hearts. When we're captive to sin, truth gets extremely fuzzy. Because what we try to do is warp God's word and God's unchanging truth to fit our sin narrative. Church, it can't happen because it doesn't change truth. Second part of this, look, 26, is this. So they come out of their senses ready and escape the trap of the devil. Second thing I want to share with you tonight is we can only escape sin when we repent. Repentance is... As a follower of Christ, we have turned from this direction. Following ourselves, we draw a line, proverbial line in the sand, we turn. Repentance is turning. Not 360, it's 180. It's turning to Christ and following Him. When we fall into sin, we start wandering out here, we start doing our own thing. You know, hey, you know, been doing... The only way to get back on the narrow road, read Pilgrim's Progress, that leads to life is through repentance. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But it must happen. It has to happen. So you hurt someone's feelings. Don't go to that person first. You go to God first. God is the one that you have offended. That is their crea his creation. So if you go to that person and repent to them and then go along your ways, you have failed mercilessly because you repent to the Lord first and foremost because why? Jesus Christ is the one that bears our sin. He's the one that pays our sin debt. He's the one that we have offended. We have offended the blood, the sacrifice, and the life of Christ. So what we do is, God, I have offended your creation. God, forgive me for hurting them, for saying something off the cuff that was not right. God, for my motives in trying to control people or control situations or control churches or my whatever, God. God, forgive me for being an ungodly husband that's not wanting to lead and abdicate and lay aside my responsibilities to be a man that leads with, in, with character and integrity and compassion with the bride of Christ, first and foremost, Christ Jesus as your guide, recognizing that you lead your family, not as a dictator, but what? With the greatest interest of your family, first and foremost. Oh, you want that wife to submit to you so you're gonna give her a knuckle sandwich? Wrong! The Bible says, lover as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? She was not lovable. Huh. So you got to love the unlovable. That's what loving your wife is Christ loved the church. And in loving her and demonstrating Christ-like love, you may win her. 
I've not met a woman once yet that when the man was truly leading in a godly way with love, compassion, and faithfully focused on Christ, I've not seen a woman that won't submit to that leadership. There might, I know there's one out there. There's probably a number of them. But I can promise you one thing. They're going to be very few and far between. When we're doing what we're supposed to do, church, I can assure you that is the way you win people to Christ. The same way as going out with a, uh, you know, take them all mentality of turn or burn. You're going to go to hell if you don't, uh, if you don't pray and receive Christ, Lord. You're going to hell. You're a homosexual. You're a stealer. You're a this. You're going to hell. Oh, can I get saved now? You think that's a heart of compassion and love? No. Why in the world would you deal with the manifestation of the natural sin nature that is within someone? Why don't you share with them the love of Christ and how God desires to set them free? And when they find out what a true saving relationship with Jesus Christ is, you know what God does? He sets the captives free, makes the lame to walk again, and causes the blind to see. He's able, he's able, I know he's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. And that person that you share Christ with, I can assure you, if you get serious about leading them to know the living water that is in Christ Jesus, God will deliver them from that issue that they're facing, which they're living out merely as a result of the sin condition of the human nature. Don't go out there and address, stop sinning, stop smoking, drinking, and cussing, come on to church. Oh, great, let's just have a nice little legalist. Why don't you give them the list of the rest of the rules so that they're going to know how to be a good law follower? You've taken them and put a yoke of slavery on them. They don't know what it's like to walk with Christ. They don't, they don't even have a clue that their behavior's wrong because they're lost, and lost people are good at doing what? Living like lost people. We've got to demonstrate the love of Christ and lead them to the one that can set them free. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them, God convicts them, God leads them, and God cleans up the messes of our hearts and our lives. But only when we allow God to do what only God can do. See, the God I serve is powerful. And as I've said this time and time again to you, it is so awesome as I've prayed as people that were lost and I've started to pray and had asked them to pray, people that didn't even believe in God. Hey, just pray that if God is the God that I said he is, that he would reveal himself to you. It is ironic how God answers that prayer. Because what is that? That is praying in accordance with God's will. But what it's also doing is demonstrating my faith in knowing that there's not a number of words on the planet that I can say to reach and open a person's heart. But see, Scripture says no one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit enables him, draws him. So the Father must do a work that I can't do. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can give someone the understanding and open their heart to the fact that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And I'm so thankful tonight that God's Word is true, it's faithful, and it takes all the pressure off of me and off of you. The same way tonight that we can only escape sin when we repent. No amount of good works, no amount of being nice to somebody because you've hurt them, none of that's going to fix it. You better fix it with him before you fix it with them. Because if not, again, we're out of step. And then the last part, and we'll be done. I know we're losing time. So then they may come to their senses, escape the trap of the devil, and the last part, who has taken them captive to do his will. 
And the last life application principle tonight's a question. Whose will are you doing? And that's the question for you. Whose will are you doing? Well, I don't mean to do the right, the wrong thing, but I just am, I'm in a mess right now. Well, you can be honest. Be honest, I'm doing the enemy's will. My other question to you tonight is this. Whose will do you want to do? Whose will do you want to do tonight? And if you're serious about that, we're getting ready to have an invitation. And you know what? If you're actually serious about that, you've got to get honest with him. Doesn't matter tonight that you don't want to be doing what you're doing. The matter at hand is the fact that you are doing what you're doing. And if you're out of step with God's desire for your life tonight, you were in sin. If you're out of step tonight with God's call to repent and turn to him and place your saving faith and trust in Jesus Christ and come to know him as Lord and Savior, you may think that you did it and, and you wanted to do it, but you realize tonight that you didn't. You, you had it out of step. You, you knew all the stuff and you thought, okay, I know it. and Great, I can't wait. I'm going to heaven one day. Maybe you've heard tonight the fact that not only do we have to recognize it, but we have to confess and profess. And if you have not confessed your sin and professed faith, placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and prayed to receive him as Lord and Savior, your head knowledge does zero, absolutely nothing. It is mere knowledge. Knowledge that does not transcend that 12-inch base of the, the, the brain, or the heart, is not a transforming work of salvation. So my question to you tonight is if you desire to do that, I can't take that step from point A to point B. Only you can do that. I can sit in here and preach for the next 10 hours. I can jump up and down, run down the aisles. I can turn the heat up in here and preach about hell. I could preach a lot about hell, about the separation from it, the fact that it is absolute torment, the absence of a nice temperature that feels good. It is absolute heat with no light. It's the hottest of hot. It is absolute darkness. It is absolute isolation, no matter what ACDC's song says. The highway to hell is a highway of complete isolation, loneliness, and torment. If you've ever seen anybody vomiting profusely, oh, that's only one part of hell. But by the way, you have nothing to vomit because there is no water in hell. So you have an uncontrollable vomiting going on, the inability to breathe because it's inhospitable to life, but the only problem is you reside in a body that cannot die. So you are choking to death with no oxygen, no light, ready, no water, no friends. You are in a place of absolute, complete hopelessness, alone with the continual reminder that there's no tomorrow that there is no escape. You merely have been given what you chose. And tonight I want to tell you something. God's desire is that none should perish. God's desire tonight is for you to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and live life. The matter of the heart settled truly once and for all. Living a life sold out completely to everything that he designed you to be living within and created you for. But I'll leave you with this. He gives us free will. 
He gives us free will. And once again, I can't choose for you. But I ask you, where's your passion? Where's your heart? Who's your king? Who's your God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.